Hey friends, welcome to It's All In My Head, where I talk to people about their experiences with mental health in a real, raw, and vulnerable way. I'm here to share stories that connect us to others in the way that mental health shows up for us, the challenges that we face, the stuff that gets us through, and perhaps most importantly, how we remain resilient. I'm your host, Joel Kaskinen. All right, everyone, welcome back to It's All in My Head. I have my very good friend, Ty. Is it Hollowell? It is Hollowell, yes. Okay. I always like worry I'm going to butcher people's last names because I'm like really good with like names and faces, but not very good at like pronouncing things because I don't know, I'm just crazy. But anywho, so I'm here with my very good friend, Ty Hollowell, and um, we are pitching the first segment of my bonus episode for Black History Month, in which we are focusing on Black mental health. So I'm going to ask Ty to introduce himself and share a little bit about himself and um, who he is, and then we will jump into some mental health stuff. Cool? Sweet. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. My name is Ty Hollowell. I use he, him, his pronouns. I um, grew up in Arkansas, so Fort Smith, Arkansas, and born and raised a little bit around there, and then moved to Texarkana, Texas in eighth grade. So I basically lived more of my life in Texas than I ever did in Arkansas, but I came to both. Um, now I work in higher ed, and I love it and hate it at the same time. Now, gotta love that love-hate relationship with it, but <laughs> I do love working it as I do orientation work in Kentucky. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. So, Ty, you and I, we actually haven't met in person, which is really yeah, funny. That. We're internet besties. <laughs> I know. It's so funny because I have so many really close friends that I've not ever met in person. Um, and that's just because higher ed is so, like, interconnected. And the internet is just, like, a wild crazy place so you and I have been like really good friends on Twitter for like I I don't even know how many years like four years or so yeah it's definitely been four years um it's really funny because one of my best friends from grad school internship with you and so that's how I was like wait I know this person like this is crazy so it was just like full circle moments of like realizing this field is so small it's (laughs) so small yeah absolutely so Billy was my intern three years ago oh my god it's been three years ago (laughs) um oh my god so yeah three years ago I uh, Billy was my intern I hired him and I had such a good summer that year he was so freaking fun and he and I are still super close but uh, yeah it was that summer that you reached out to me on Twitter like you sent me a DM and you were like oh my god I like we've always like interacted and like been close but like we need to like get connected and I was like oh my god Billy you holy shit (laughs) interaction and ever since then the rest is literally history like I I feel like I've always known you like my whole life honestly because we've always interacted we're always hyping each other up like exactly 
100%. It's like, it goes so far back now that I'm like, we're just besties, you know? <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, I always start my episodes, Ty, by asking my guests to share what their relationship to mental health is, where they're at in their journey today, what that kind of takes form and looks like to you. Um, so as a Black identifying man, would you just share what Black mental health means to you today? Yeah. Um, so I do identify as Black. That's super important to know because honestly, mental health within the Black community it's such a strange relationship. Like, I grew up to both of my parents being pastors. So as you can imagine, living in the Deep South, <laughs> the relationship is always just pray about it, right? Like, mm -hmm. let's just God, let's really bring it to him. And like, I love my faith. My spirituality is important to me. But it wasn't until college that I was like, okay, but I can pray about it and still go to counseling and it's okay, right? Like, it doesn't <laughs> other and so I went to counseling for the first time in undergrad as a sophomore and it was funny because my hall director at the time who I worked for as an RA was like you should go to counseling because you're stressed the fuck out and <laughs> I don't want you to quit and so I just need you to have someone to talk to and so I went initially just for stress I was just like I just need someone to talk to but then <laughs> As you know, you get close to your therapist and you're like, oh shit, I'm a little fucked up. Like, <laughs> I got some deep-rooted issues that I did not know about and I was just like coping and masking them in these ways. And so that's how my mental health journey started. Um, and then when I went all the way through undergrad doing that, so we had like a certain number of counseling sessions, but as you know, if you <laughs> want to continue, you can, so I did. And then in grad school, I just stopped. Like I didn't go at all and it was evident. <laughs> I should not have stopped, but I just didn't. And I uh, started back up whenever I moved to Kentucky, but that wasn't until this summer. Uh, COVID made me realize that, yo, I should really utilize these benefits that I have. Yeah, yeah. I need to work out what we're going through. We're living in a pandemic. I also have been going through some family and work-related things. And so in doing so, it was really great. And then the reality of it on the other side is that <laughs> counseling and therapy is not cheap. And so um, my like sessions ran out and I was like, okay, like now I'm going to have to pay for this out of pocket and not just insurance. And that was a financial decision that I couldn't afford at the time. So I stopped. Yeah. Yeah. So right now, I have not been still going because I have not been able to afford it. But with our new things starting over in May, I'll have more sessions available. And, you know, that's just a whole nother issue when it comes to mental health, because like it's not affordable in that sense. But when it comes to like my blackness and how I justify going to mental health, like it's always been important to me to have a counselor of color. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. First therapist was not. It was a white man and I loved him dearly, but it was just some things that I realized very quickly that I could not talk about with him, even when it came to like me identifying as a queer person and some of those things that are really stronghold in my life that I had to talk about, right? And he just couldn't understand. And so when I finally got a therapist of color, that was so important to me. And then also knowing their gender, like that mattered to me as well. Like I've had a man, and I was like, maybe I really just don't need a man. <laughs> I don't know. Like, maybe I don't. So having a Black woman of color, like, that 
did a lot for me. Uh, was able for me to have some of those strongholds break down, and it was amazing. And seeing my blacklist, my blackness, and not them having to question it or invalidate my experiences goes a long way. So, I, I always advocate like if you're black, get therapy whether you feel like you need it or not, like <laughs> seek help because it's so good. And there's a lot of things like as a black queer person that I had to unlearn and then- Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Wow, that um, is quite the journey. Thank you so much for sharing um, as a brief intro. I want to dive further into a couple of things that you said. Um, I want to start with, finding a therapist that works for you is not something that's easy and it's not something that's talked about. Um, you know, it's just one additional piece of accessibility that isn't there. Um, you know, like you said that therapy isn't affordable. We see that that's pretty commonplace. Um, it's really not accessible a lot of times, you know, like if you can't afford it, then you only have this many places in your network within your insurance to, to go to. Sometimes those providers aren't someone that fits for you. You know, you talked about being a black man, being in the queer community. You needed someone that really aligned with who you are and what your needs are. And you talked about like having a black woman as your therapist. Can you elaborate a little bit further on like kind of the dating, if you will, like to find a therapist, because that's something I've never had to do. I love my therapist and I'm like actually bummed that like when I leave Western, I'm like leaving her. Um, and so I'm going to have to go through that process. And I think that that's something really important, especially for marginalized communities, whether it's queer or black or brown or whatever. Um, I think it's really important for marginalized communities to know that it's a super difficult process to find a therapist that works yeah um well the first thing I'll say is like if you're listening and you are on a collegiate campus like it's such an easier start there um because oftentimes they do offer you like free sessions or however many for the service and so you can go and I know for me it wasn't like I got to choose my therapist whenever I was in undergrad it was just kind of like who was available right like who had the availability to take on new clients um but of course if you didn't feel comfortable you can be like okay like I don't think this is working out is there someone else right but as now a professional and things of that sort it's literally like dating so um our institution they had a partnership with one of the programs and it was an online service and so I looked at them and I was like okay cool what do I got and it's basically a questionnaire that I filled out mm -hmm. and it felt like I was really applying for a job like age weight ethnicity race um previous mental health experience um even wanted to know like physical conditions like did I have heart numbers all of these things which yeah. at first seemed really silly but then it was like no like this is all really important to knowing like all of these things about you are always going to be an impact of what you feel and what are you going through? How does that relate to how you interact with people? Right. And so then it got to some other questions, not about myself, but then what I was looking for in a therapist. And so it was asking questions like, do I want them to be religious? 
Um, what religious faith, if so, that I wanted them to be? Um, what background did it matter if they come from? If they came from a, a one parent or two parent home, or if they came from a traditional air quote <laughs> home, or if they came from a queer family background, like all of these things were like so in depth that it was so weird to me, honestly, but I was like, oh, I am living for this because it made me feel like I was actually gonna get a really, really good match. Yeah. And so yeah. then I like, hit submit and it like populated like <laughs> and I was like oh shit I was like this is dope like okay and so I like populated like 20 or so names and like I could see their qualifications I could see their profile pictures and their experience that they had with like sexual assault or um broken abuse or this that and the other and so all of these things are so important because sometimes we're not ready to address the things that we know that we have going on in our lives right yeah. so yeah if I'm going through like alcohol abuse, maybe I don't actually want the alcohol abuse counselor because I know that they would be really great for me, but I'm not ready to address that yet, right? Or if you are, <laughs> cool, dive right into it. But I got to sift through them and kind of felt like being on Tinder, swipe left, swipe right. And <laughs> when I chose one at first, it was a black male. And he was, he was all right. Like, I'm not gonna lie. He was religious, black male, and we kind of vibed a little bit. Um, the thing that was kind of shaky about me was that he said that he was okay with queer people and like everyone's level of okayness with queer people is varying. And so just with some of the sessions that we would have, I was like, mm, you're just okay. Like you literally said you were okay and you are just okay. I need someone who is great with queer people or affirming of queer people, right? And like, those are different. And so went back to looking through the profiles and found a black woman and baby, like, if you don't have a black woman in your life, get you a black woman in your life because it, <laughs> seriously, I mean, for real, like they, I don't know, like my mom is obviously a black woman. I guess that's not obviously, but my mom is a black woman. And so I just love and edify black women, but having a counselor's one was just like, yes, this is what I need. Thank you so much. Uh, you see me. And it just brought out different things that I think a woman's touch in it's just, it's powerful, right? Like, yeah, you can't always bring out the things that another man made me, I feel. <laughs> I love that. I actually prefer women counselors as well. Um, I, so, and it's interesting that you brought this up, like, get yourself a black woman if you don't have a black woman in your life. I'm obsessed with that, actually. Like, that's perfect mentality, because I <laughs> fucking believe that 100% like if you don't have a black woman in your life get yourself a black woman um seriously they're incredible people and um I was actually just talking about this with my supervisor and my dean of students prior to like giving my two-week notice um we are not the most inclusive campus we are not the most diverse campus and we live in the mountains of Colorado and our representation matters and our representation is very scarce. And when I was advocating for mental health resources and greater support on our campus, one of the things that I was advocating for was more diversity in our counselors. We have two total counselors on our campus right now for 2,300 students. And oh my God. <laughs> that's not including staff and faculty and like community members that see them. You know what I mean? Like that's literally so pathetic. It's just it, like what's happening. So one of the things that I was advocating for as I've like really, really been advocating 
for greater resources and support on our campus um, was a diverse counselor, whether it is a person of color or a queer person or whatever, like we need a counselor that fits a representation and doesn't just like live by the standards of we live in rural mountain town, Colorado, like we're a white straight person, like we need something different. So that way our marginalized communities on campus can go seek therapy and feel comfortable because I've heard time and time again that our students, our staff even don't feel comfortable going to see the counselors, the therapists at our on-campus clinic. And so they have to go elsewhere because they don't feel comfortable. And so that was something I really advocated for. And come to find out the organization, it's like regional, um, and they don't have a single person of color on their staff. And I literally was like, you're kidding. Yeah. I was like, you need to prioritize some diversity in hiring, and you need to prioritize that person specifically for our on-campus location. Yeah. It's insane. But yeah, so it is really tough, though, to find a match. And that was really, I think you totally shared, you know, your journey into finding a therapist that works for you. But I just, I want people to know that it's really difficult. It's not very accessible, as sad as it is. Like, I mean, it's 2021, literally every person suffers from something. And it, even if they don't, like, they're going through, the world's a dark place. So you're going through something. So like everybody get yourself a counselor too. Like get yourself a black woman and get yourself a counselor. Like <laughs> that's <laughs> what you need. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah. Um, I want to ask a couple more questions. Um, Go for it. Yes. So I want to ask, cause you are, a queer identifying person and you're also a very spiritual person. You said that you were raised by two pastors. What does that intersection look like and how has that impacted your mental health? <laughs> Not positive. <laughs> um, full transparency because I always like to keep it real. It's been hard. Keep it real, baby. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of my issues stemmed from with me having to go to <laughs> seek therapy because um, I knew I was queer early on um, because of instances that has happened in my life. And then I just like leaned into it and accepted like, oh, I am attracted to both men and women. This is who I am. That was in high school. So um, I was open about my sexuality with my friends in college and was kind of like living my life as like, this is who I am, like, yo, what's up? But I never had told my parents or any of my family members. And so a lot of this was just shame because having grown up in the church, literally, and if you're black, you know that that means from the moment that you're born, you literally were at the church Sunday and Wednesday. But if you uh -huh. were a pastor's kid, you were there Sunday through Sunday. And that was literally me. And so I felt like I would be letting my parents down. I felt a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, and just like that family name. And so I did not come out into my parents until grad school at the age of 24. Um, and loved them, but hateful words were shared of just 
rash emotions. I think, you know, we say a lot of things that we don't necessarily mean or that we do mean and we just aren't aware how it's going to come out. And so I was just like, wow, like, how do I conceptualize being a Christian in my faith and being queer? And then it pushed me away from my faith. It really did. Because I was just like, well, I'm just going to live my queer life. But then I was like, no, like, I can't separate this two. Like, and I don't feel like I should have to because this is a huge part of me that I've always identified as. And so um, getting help with that since when I moved to Kentucky was really great because my counselor is also a woman of faith. And so it was just really nice to have the word to rely on, but also knowing that like, I'm who I am and like, there's nothing wrong with who I am. And so I can still be spiritual and that looks different from being religious. I do want to clarify. Like, I would not say that I am religious. I would definitely say I am spiritual. Uh, so that means I, I do meditation, you know, like I believe in making sure that my heart is right and that I'm feeling well and like my spirit is aligned and doing all of these things. And like, yes, I pray and read my Bible, but I am not a Southern Bible thumping <laughs> Christian who's gonna <laughs> take you from hell just because you have premarital sex or whatever, you know, like that's just not who I am. And so it has been a journey and I think it's an ongoing journey for me. I don't know if it's one that I'll ever be done with because I do have questions. Like I do wonder, wow, like if I die right now, like where am I gonna go? And what does that look like? Because I just don't believe that queer people to just go to hell for being queer. Like there's nothing in my body that makes me believe that. Um, just like, I don't feel like all serial killers go to hell. Like I just, you can't convince me otherwise. Like, I just feel like there's just different things and we'll never know depending on what you believe in. And so for me, I really do feel like mental health is an ongoing journey. It should not just be like, oh, I fixed this part of me, so I'm good now. Like, it's okay to have a therapist when nothing is going wrong. It's nice to be able to share the good things and the happiness with someone who truly knows you. Um, and like, you don't have to be best friends with their therapist. They're not there to be your friend. And that was something that I learned the hard way as well, because the first time that my therapist ever like gave me truth talk, baby, the one that, mm, I was not here for it. I was like, excuse me, like, who told you to read me for filth like that? And she was like, well, I'm getting paid. Like, I'm not your friend. This is a service that I provide to my clients to be <laughs> with you, you know what I'm saying? And like, I think that's important to remember is like, your therapist is not your friend. Like this is their profession and their profession is to help you make progress. And sometimes that means being blatantly honest with you and telling you what you need or don't need to hear or want to hear, you know? Yes, absolutely. That's so funny because I want to be best friends with my therapist. I love her so much. Um, like she's actually going on maternity leave at like, in a couple of weeks and I'm super excited for her obviously like she's gonna have her first child which is so amazing and I think that like anyone who has a therapist as a parent like you're gonna get read obviously but you're also going to like have a lot of immense support which is really cool and I just think that she's gonna be a wonderful mother but I was joking with her the other day I was like can you be my live-in therapist and I be your live-in nanny <laughs> That would be a really great relationship, though. Like, that's how close I, like, feel to her. Like, I just, I, like, I'm moving in. I will take care of your child. You will take care of me. And this is, this is what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> 
you know, every relationship is different. Like some people really are that close with their therapist and it's dope. Like, no lie, um, whenever I was in undergrad, like my very first therapist that I had that was a white male, straight, loved him. He was cool, whatever for what he was, but he just wasn't for me. But like, whenever I saw him outside of that, cause you know, like therapists are never gonna call you out. They're never gonna like initiate. Right. Like you can speak to them and then they'll like talk to you. And so like, I saw him in a bar once Yes, we had shots. Cause I was like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to take shots with my therapist. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Like it's fine. Like you perhaps is- get some good conversation going. <laughs> so yeah, you know, live your best life as long as it's uh, legal. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> not with you. I'm such a brat. You know, I like to push the envelope. Oh, Lordy. Um, Okay. So I wanted to dive into something. I just totally forgot. Um, Oh yes. That's what it was. Switching gears here. Um, You're a professional. You work on a college campus. You show up to spaces very honestly and very real. And like, that's what I know of you anyway. Again, we've never met in person, but what I know of you is that you show up to all spaces very authentically. So as a black man who has, you know, mental health stuff going on, as a queer person who's got mental health stuff going on, as a spiritual person who's got mental health stuff going on, do you present the same way like at work to your students um that you do to like me and like our peers or like like how do you coach them through their challenges like using your own perspectives and your own identities yeah this is a great question and i'm about to be so transparent as possible but like i'm serious but it's gonna sound jokey um so you follow me on twitter and you see how transparent i am yeah 100 (laughs) percent I am 100% that in all aspects of my life. So See, I'm the same, yeah. So, like, there are some students, like my mutuals, <laughs> that are blessed with the opportunity of me following them back. I never initiate that first, but if they find my Twitter, which is, like, my name isn't on either my Twitter or my Instagram, so, like, you have to search for it and then find me. And if they do, I'm like, okay, cool. It's typically students that like I'm actually close with that I'll allow. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have rainbows. <laughs> I'm queer, y'all. Like I got rainbows in my office. I got all the stuff, okay? Uh, but I also have like, I'm black and I'm proud stickers on my work laptop because like, well, bitch, this is mine for while I'm here. So like, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. gonna be here. Um, and I, I let people know like, Yes, I am here to serve all students because that is the nature of my role. But at the end of the day, the students that naturally gravitate to me are Black students and then queer students. And so there's a lot of overlap there because I have a lot of white students, other people of color, able-bodied, whatever the case may be, that will identify as queer so they feel like there's a safe space with coming to me. And then um, just my blackness as a whole. And like, I'm young, so I'm 26. I work on a collegiate campus that is old as shit. 1855 found it. A lot of people um, are older than me. So I have the benefit. I also call it a blessing and a curse at the same time as being one of the young professionals on this campus. Because uh-huh. it's taxing. It's emotionally draining and physically I come home and I just lay on my couch after a work day sometimes because it's just like, Wow. I mean, like, even, you know, Joel, like, 
right when I got on there, I was telling you just how I was talking with the student and unpacking <laughs> their identities. And I'm just like, ah! <laughs> like I was not prepared for that. But I think you're never prepared important. for anything that the yeah, world like, throws at you. <laughs> is. And so with that, I just, I, I show up authentically. Um, I'm very transparent with my students if I'm having an off day. Because um, I run our orientation team here and work with a lot of student leaders. And so if I have to meet with students one day, I'll straight up just send them a text and be like, either we can cancel or this is the version of time that you're going to get today and the choice is yours. And oftentimes I find that my students don't want to meet because they care about me as a person. And so they're like, okay, today's one-on-one is actually about you, Ty. Like, how are you doing? Where are you going? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is so sweet. And like, we'll talk and like, obviously they end up putting me in a much better mood and sometimes it's what you need, you know? But then other times I'm like, no, like I literally cannot function today. I'm going to have to use time off and do whatever I need to do, or like, I'm just not gonna take any meetings and just be in the office and not see anyone. Um, and then there's other times where I've tried to press through and realize that it's me being disingenuous and I don't ever want my students to do that to me. And so I'll like catch myself and I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Like I'm putting on the front right now cause I'm trying to act like everything is okay. And it's not, <laughs> so I just need y'all to know like, this is all right. And so I say like, if you are a professional and you're listening to this, especially a young professional, because like Joel got some years on me in the field. Uh, <laughs> are you just, calling me old? <laughs> no, I'm just um, We're actually the same age, but I just have multiple years on you. Oh, period. I started <laughs> like a crazy person at the youngest age ever. I'm so weak, but I love that. Um, but yeah, like if you are a young professional in the field and you're like wondering like, can I show up and be my most authentic self at work? Please do. Um, I think it's so much easier. So I've never not been. So like whenever I meet mid-level professionals that are like honestly struggling with like how to be their most authentic self in the workplace because they are queer or there's something like this and then they're coming to terms with it. It's like, oh God, like, no, like, I'm so glad that I did this already. Like, I'm yeah. so glad that I'm not having to go through that. And it's like no shade to them at all. Like we have these open conversations. And so there's that level of respect there. And oftentimes you're like, Ty, like, no, you did it the right way. And so please be yourself. And even if you're a student, like college is the time to figure out who you are. And it's okay to go to therapy to help with figuring out who you are, right? Like, I don't think had I not gone to therapy, if I ever would have been okay with who I was, because I knew who I was, but I was still a lot of internal conflict with me accepting who I was. And my therapist was like, well, why, what makes you think that you can't be a Christian and can't be queer? You know, like they were asking those tough questions yeah. that I was not asking myself because I was just beating myself up, you know? Um, and I think a lot of times therapy brings clarity. Like this is something that my therapist always said to me before I uh, ended our sessions in Kentucky here but therapy brings clarity and I'll never forget that because it's, it's true and it may not bring it initially. <laughs> it may not even bring it with that therapist specifically. Uh -huh. but therapy in general has the ability to bring clarity for whatever it is you may be going on in your life, whether it's trying to figure out something, the next step, like what is it in the season that you're going through, family dynamics, all of that. Like when you're able to talk about your feelings, Oh God, that is so healthy. Like, ugh, 
Talking about your feelings is healthy, okay? To the toxic man who is out here listening to this, talk about your damn feelings, get you a black woman in your life, and get you some damn therapy. <laughs> like, make that shit happen, okay? <laughs> First off, I don't really think toxic men are probably listening to my podcast, but... Okay, I'm going to send all the toxic men in my life this episode. <laughs> if they are listening to my podcast, welcome aboard and get yourself a damn black woman and get yourself a damn therapist and start talking about your damn feelings. that's so funny i'm obsessed oh i love that your counselor like says like therapy brings clarity like i just i really so truthfully believe that like every fiber of my being like trusts that phrase i'm like i'm gonna like get it tattooed on my body or something i don't know like or like paint paint a like canvas and like hang it in my office or something I don't know but be really cute. actually that would be really cute just saying <laughs> I have um a sign that says past joints not judgment <laughs> like the way that my face just went like I'm not surprised I love it Very um yeah, I don't have it in my office because that would probably get me fired. But, um, uh, you know. <laughs> um, okay, well, I have really one last question for you before kind of transitioning into uh, our cl- wrap-up. Um, we all know the world um, that we're living in. It's a global pandemic. We had some pretty severe um social justice um, issues and equality issues that popped up this summer and early fall. Um, we're not seeing that as much now today, but um, I'm def- I definitely anticipate it being a thing forever. I don't think that we're ever getting away from that. Um, so I want to ask you uh, how the events of this summer with the Black Lives Matter protests, with the looting, the rioting, the peaceful marches, the insurrection on January 6th of our capital, how has all of those events in culmination or individually impacted your mental health as a Black person? This is a really great question. <laughs> and I Me with the hard hitters. Yeah, I want to preface it by saying, Everyone copes in their own way. <laughs> so, with that being said, um, lots of tequila. Yeah, this world is fucking trash, and I love wine. <laughs> and so, who doesn't? I'm going yeah. to the winery with two friends this afternoon. I love it. So, at the beginning of the pandemic, like I, I was just drinking a lot of wine whenever I would get back from work. Um, but you know, you can't always escape your feelings, and so I. I was like, okay, like, let me really just process this. So my therapist was like, how about you journal how you're feeling? I was like, this is cute, but like, I'm a conversationalist. So me just getting my thoughts out on paper does not work for me. And I'm not saying that that doesn't work for everyone. It just does not work for Tyler or Hollowell. <laughs> so I'm just putting that out there. And so I, um, after talking with my therapist, I was just like, actually, I think it's just best if I don't like if I just don't acknowledge the shit that's happening and she was like actually no and I was like actually yes because 
one thing your therapist doesn't have is power over what you do. And True. they can only suggest, they can only offer their opinions and things like that. But like you at the end of the day are your own person. And so at the time, that was the healthiest option for me because I knew that I did not want to just drink my problems away. And I knew that just writing down how I felt was not helping, but turning off like this little emotional switch to like the racist problems that happen in America uh, was easier for me to do. I also think because of my proximity to Breonna Taylor made that easier than I ever would have been able to do it. And I say that because I live an hour and a half away from where Breonna Taylor was murdered and majority of our students come from Louisville. We have a lot of students. And so this summer, my institution, um, you know, we were founded in the Civil Rights era, 1855. We are very prominent and vocal about where we stand for Black Lives Matter. But this summer, my institution really dropped the ball and struggled with having to say, we believe that Black Lives Matter. And that really just hurt me as a Black professional working here. And so rather than like reaching out to people who I knew would not give a damn about what I had to say because they're so high up in administration, I said, fuck it. I'm just not going to care. Like I just switched off all my emotions and powered through because I still had a job to do with reaching out to white people that, yeah, I don't want to look at a white person right now, but my job tells me that I need to, and I like having a paycheck during a fucking pandemic, so I'm going to do this. Um, So that was how I coped. Now, where we are in (laughs) February of 2021, I have since then been able to actually talk about how I've been feeling about all that's been going on with white friends, which has been really important because during these previous murders at the tail end of 2020, um, a lot of my white friends did reach out to me and it was very performative. And I was just like, I will not be entertaining these conversations right now because where are you whenever no one's being killed? Like, are you still advocating for black lives or is this only whenever you see it on the news? Because this Um, shit has been happening for all of black people's lives. Like, we sit down and we get to talk whenever we're in middle school before we're able to drive about what to do whenever you're pulled over. Like, how do you respond to cops? Like, and these are things that I never realized that white people didn't have these conversations. And I was like, well, what the fuck is that shit? So yeah, but it's been really healthy to have those conversations with white people because um, I had to like really address how I felt about that with my friends first and then what that out like outlook looked like for me with just white people that I didn't know. And then even talking about it with other people of color, that was a different thing. Because uh, if you're listening, black people, we do not like to be coupled in with the blanket term people of color, um, mainly because it's dismissive. And if anything told you from the <laughs> protest this past summer, you see that there's a lot of racism within the people of color community, yeah, yeah. color itself. And so, It's just one of those things that we still as people have a long way to go, but I was able to talk about that with my East Asian friends and Filipino and Latinx friends and all of these different people. And it was so healthy. And so for me, I'm able to process these things with friends that are white, friends that are other people of color and friends that are black. And it's been so healthy 
but I know that I needed the time to not talk about it and to not address it for several months. And so that was how I addressed it. <laughs> wow. That um, is pretty intense, but like the fact that you are intuitive enough and introspective enough to know that like you needed some space and some time before talking about it is huge you know and now that you're to a place that you can talk about it the fact that you're engaging with all kinds of people you know multiple different backgrounds multiple different identities that's incredible um yeah that's just it's really impressive and I uh, totally get where you're coming from like being close to in proximity to Breonna Taylor, you know, being close to Louisville, like Elijah McLean was in Denver, Aurora area, you know, and like that's only three and a half hours for me. And granted, it's not nearly as close as Berea to Louisville, but like it's still, I mean, like I'm in Denver regularly, you know, and so that one was like tough for me, but it's really funny when like all of this, I guess funny is not the right term. Ugh, none of this is funny, but I know. <laughs> I, I, it's funny, I guess, because you said that like you just didn't engage. Whereas like I, as a white person, I had to engage. Like I was so, I'm such an empath that like I feel people's energies and I like, I live on it. I take it home. I like dwell on it. It like boils up inside of me, which is why I have to have a therapist. Like I'm such an empath that not only am I carrying my shit, I'm carrying everyone else's too. So like, I have to be able to like talk it out and sort it out. And it's like, I journal because like, I have to get my mind out. Like, you know, I have to talk it. I have to write it. I have to do everything. Like, you know, that's just a thing. But my very, like, very, very good friend and colleague here at Western, he, Scott, his name is Scott, um, he called me the morning of um, George Floyd's murder, and he called me, and he was like, how are you doing? Because he knew that I was going to carry that. He knew that that kind of stuff, that kind of news impacts me. And he knew that I was going to be like thinking about everyone else. So he called me and he was like, how are you doing? Like, I'm sure you saw the news. Like, I'm an avid reader of the news. I'm pretty politically engaged, you know? So it's like, he knew. And that was really impressive that I just like literally was sobbing. I was like, it's not okay. This is literally like not good. And he, I just like the fact that another man, first of all, that can like talk about their feelings, but like knows that I'm carrying this, reached out and took that on. So that way I could have space to reach out to you, reach out to my friend, Rachel, who's going to be on the next segment of this episode, you know, like I can take on more weight, you know, like I reached out to every single person that I'm close to that identifies as black after that happened, because like, not just in a performative way, but these are my, the people that I talk to regularly. I mean, like you and I text all the time. We tweet back and forth all the time. Like Rachel and I have been literally best friends since like sophomore year of college. Like we call each other our person. That's how close we are. Like, like I reached out to all of these different people and I wouldn't have had the capacity to do so had Scott not reached out to me. So it's like, it's knowing our boundaries. Like for you, you had to disengage. And for me, I had to engage and I had to start active, like being an activist, you know, like, yeah. and I'm still being an activist. I've, I've always kind of had 
an activist soul. Like I'm totally someone that I use my empath like powers and like it, it it's also a curse. It's a blessing and curse. Um, I use my empathy and I use the fact that I am a very outspoken, very educated, very informed white man to my power. And I like utilize those privileges to yeah, uphold. This is what we mean when we say use your privilege for good. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I know that I like can do way more. I know that there's things that I can be doing that I'm not, but I am always, always pushing for activism and for social justice. And I'm always reaching out to y'all and engaging on conversations that if I don't understand something, I'm asking you, you know, like if I want to know more about your perspective, I'm asking you, you know, like that's just how it works. But anyway, I'm like on a tangent now, but I just, I think it's really impressive that like you knew your boundaries and like you could set aside for your own mental health because for my own mental health, I knew like getting deep down the rabbit hole was the best and the worst for me. So, wow, wow, wow. Interesting. I just love it. Okay. We're about out of time. I know that you are on your lunch break right now. I don't want to, you know, seep into your work. (laughs) So, ew, I just said seep into your work. What am I doing? Babe, help me out. I'm like, <laughs> stop that shit. Oh, okay. Anyway, so I always end my podcasts by asking what Sisu means to you and how you feel about Sisu today in your own mental health journey. Um, as a reminder, Sisu is the Finnish term that translates to English as guts, determination, resilience, grit, perseverance, those kinds of concepts, those kinds of words. Um, so what does Sisu mean to you in this moment as we're speaking right now today in regards to your own mental health? The first word that comes to my mind is resilient. And I hate that because this fucking pandemic has made me hate that damn word. So we're not going to go with it. That and presidential, like unprecedented, I hate those words. Oh my gosh, 100%. (laughs) I think in this moment, what it means to me is not just one word, but it's a feeling. It's an expression of just knowing that to keep going, uh, to ongo all that's going to come in your life and to keep pushing forward. Like, I'm someone who's very futuristic. I don't do anything without a plan. And so I can be thinking about something one to two years from now. And I may not know all of how it's going to happen, but I have little target goals of seeing it happen. Totally. And so I think it's just saying spoken like a true educator. <laughs> <laughs> so like just staying focused and keeping my eye on the prize. Like I know personally and professionally, I'm not where I want to be right now. And a lot of that is also in the sense of my mental health journey. I know that I continue to have work that needs to get done. And I know that there's a timeline that I would like to start that again. And what that looks like, who may know the inner workings of that, right? So I would just say, for me, that just means to keep going, to press on, and just keep my eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the prize. I love that, Ty. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Rounding things out as uh, this podcast is all about connecting people with similar journeys or who are inspiring or just enabling and empowering people to talk about their 
own mental health and their own emotions. Where can people find you? Are you working on any projects? Plug anything you want. Plug away. Can I plug myself? No. <laughs> I uh, of course. On Twitter, that's where I probably mostly engage with everyone at what about ties. So W H A T A B O U T T Y. Um, as we've talked about, like I'm just transparent. So if you're gonna follow me and think that you're only gonna get professional tweets, do not waste your time. Uh, Same you may, here. I, like you may see my likes <laughs> on your Twitter feed, and then that's a whole different thing. But I'm a good time, so. Just follow me there. I love to engage with everyone. I don't uh, feel like Joel and I are in the same way. Like, I don't think we've ever met a stranger. So <laughs> I'll, I'll socialize with you and have a good conversation. Just don't be rude. I have no time for you if you're True. rude. Go away. <laughs> we don't fuck with no negativity. At all. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this. Like, thank you so much for having me a guest on here. I, amazing. You are amazing. And the work that you're Stop doing. that shit. we'll hear this that's true what you're doing is incredibly important and thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be on this platform absolutely thank you uh well ty i love you so much have a wonderful rest of your day and thanks again bye love you bye I have my dear friend and love of my life, Rachel Klitsky, here with me. We have known each other for years now. What's it been like eight years, nine years, something ridiculous. Um, And we, we just have such similar views and beliefs and values on literally everything. And we just have always referred to each other as our person and my person. Exactly. I know. Um, and so, yeah, I just love you so much. And I wanted to make sure to get you on as a guest, um, for if you've made it to this part in the podcast episode today, obviously, you know, that this is a bonus episode. It is all about black history month. And I have interviewed, um, my very dear friends who identify as being black Americans all about their journey. So with that in mind, Rachel, if you would just give a brief introduction of yourself, um, and then if you'll just jump right in um, and share kind of where you're at in your journey and what your relationship to mental health is, that'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah, my name is Rachel. Um, Joel and I obviously met in college. Well, obvious to me and you, I guess. Um, (laughs) Not everybody else. But um, the whole world knows that we are college besties. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Everybody. Um, Yeah, I majored in community health education. Um, I am an African American woman, biracial, um, raised in a very small, you know, town, predominantly white town. Uh, Went to school in Marquette, Michigan, again, predominantly white town. work a lot with at-risk population now and um yeah work a lot with pop- public health so it's kind of I don't know basically what I'm working on right now love that so where are you in your mental health journey and what is your relationship with mental health 
Um, where I'm at my journey now, gosh. Okay. So I feel like we'll start with your relationship. Start. Yeah. Start from the beginning with your relationship to mental health and then end with where you're at today. Absolutely. So where I started, I feel like I started with the textbook answers just because I went to school for community health education, um, got my LPN. So my understanding was very like mental health therapy, um, kind of knowing the definitions by what you would find in the DSM or like going into a textbook. Um, Here's depression, here's anxiety, here is your coined terms. But for me, it was always intuition, um, what I felt in my gut. And my experiences in the past with mental health were deeply affected with how I was raised. Um, You know, I am, uh, my mother was Caucasian and my father was black and being raised, I always felt like I was kind of split in the middle. And so my mental health revolved a lot around that. I just kind of felt like I never fit in anywhere in any group. I was always just kind of stagnant. And so now developing as like an adult and surviving 2020 and into 2021, it has been a complete journey of discovery and understanding and confusion and anxiety. And yeah, it's just been a whole process and it's affected me on so many levels. Joel knows um, engagement, ended engagement. Um, Yeah. Yeah, my mental health has played a huge factor into this year. So. For sure. Yeah. So it sounds like, for those that don't know, obviously I know a lot more of the intimate details than most mm-hmm. people, I think. But um, for those that don't know, it sounds like you have kind of run the gamut when it comes to your mental health in terms of studying it and also living it. Um, Can you share a little bit more? You talked about your kind of like childhood and that like you didn't feel like you could ever like fit into a box. Could you share a little bit more about what that was like? And especially I know you you were adopted. So like that adds to the layers of your mental health journey as well. So can you share a little bit more about your childhood and um, kind of where those initial feelings maybe developed for you or when you started to notice them and then how you you channeled those feelings and how you coped with your, your journey there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically like at, as a child, um, I was adopted. My parents, my adoptive parents are white. Um, I was raised in a very small town. I was the only person of color in my entire town. Um, at all. And so that from day one, it was always a feeling of being different and having a guard up of, you know, are these people being nice to me because they're being nice to me? Are they being nice to me because there's like malintent behind it? Like, am I going to become the like punchline of a joke? Things like that. So I think from a very young age, I developed like a guard and you can even hear it when I talk about mental health. Like I I surface level, like even, you know, what is your journey about mental health? And I kind of talk about like the big subjects, but I don't dive into it. Um, but that's where that comes from is for sure that initial feeling of like being different and also not knowing how to communicate that to my parents, because 
I felt like they wouldn't get that and they wouldn't understand that Mm -hmm. Um, because they fit in with the group. You know, they looked like everybody else. So I was like, how am I going to explain this without offending them? Um, And so I think that's where guards really started to go up is at that point. Um, And then, you know, translate that as you get older, I think that kind of just I don't know. I get choked up about it, but it plays a part. No worries. In, <laughs> it plays a part into. Um, I think a lot of like my perfectionism comes from that because you put like a front on. Well, because and... you have to meet the mold. You have to fit the expectations of fit the yeah. mold, meet the expectations. I said that reverse, but you know what I mean. Like you have to kind of like meet these expectations of all of the other white folk around you. Yeah, absolutely. And also like your the eyes are on you all the time. You know, if you make a mistake, you stand out. You people notice you first. If you're in a group, it's natural that people notice you first and you know that. You become hyper aware of that. So you're you're constantly setting a higher bar for yourself. And it's like where does that ever end? Like when does that when do you stop setting that higher bar for yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the struggles that I faced um, come from my childhood. And I didn't know that until Until now. now. And I never thought about it. Like I never recognized that to be what it was in my childhood. I just thought that that was normal. Like I just thought every kid feels different, you know, you hear it when you're like, then fast forward from being a young kid to like adolescence, mm-hmm. you're, you're a preteen. That's natural. Like it's normal. You know, everyone feels different, you know, go off to college. Everyone's trying to fit in, you know, it is. It's, so I think it just kind of got brushed under the rug for a really long time. And it's like, no, it was way deeper than that for me. Sure. Do you think feeling that, your own mental health challenges and not even only your mental health challenges, but just the challenges that you faced growing up have impacted like negatively your adult life? Um, I, yeah, it's interesting. I think they, I think they have negatively and positively. Like, I think it pushed me towards the health field because it gave me that caring aspect. Mm-hmm. This um, is exactly what I wanted you to talk about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I think it like, it pushed me into the health field definitely um, because it gave me that caring aspect. I think it definitely like, I'm a huge empath and like huge on intuition, like I talked about before. Um, I didn't really recognize mental health as a child. It wasn't talked about in my household. It was just kind of like, mm-hmm. how are you? You're good. How are your grades? They're good. You're doing well. Okay, cool. Like slap on the back, like keep it moving. Um so drawing from those experiences as a kid that brought like you know kind of pushed me into that health field that's where i learned that i like taking care of people i like making people feel better i don't want people to feel like they're different i want them to feel nurtured and like cared for um but also i think it led me to of hyper focusing on how other people feel and not focusing on how i feel and that's where that negative aspect comes in And I think that it also, that definitely comes out in my personal relationships, in my relationships with other people. And I, 
I definitely learned that this year more than sure. So let's unpack that a little bit further. Um, I want to hear more specifically about what you do as a healthcare professional and how you lean into that empathy and that intuition. Um, and specifically how that, you know, like I'm an empath too. I talk about this religiously. Like, I think I bring it up every day, but like I carry people's feelings and I sense other people's like things that are going on and you do the same. And so I'm sure that you carry some of what you see at work home with you. So let's talk about that. And then from there, I want to talk about how that impacts your relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So at work, what I do right now is I work as a community health navigator. So I work with people that are on both Medicare and Medicaid, and I go through and advocate for them. So um, scheduling appointments, going to doctor's offices, kind of navigating their, whatever their health needs are, Um, going over, making sure that they understand information, making sure that they understand their health needs and have access to resources, all of that. So kind of making sure their wellness and their care are up to the standard that it should be and holding people accountable for executing that. So um, it's really up my alley of what I love to do, which is taking care of the person holistically Right, but you can incorporate your empathy, you can incorporate your social justice um, yeah, kind of advocacy exactly. and activism that I know you to, to be, you know, I, like, yeah. I think I really became in, inspired to be more of an activist because of you, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I find myself definitely like over advocating for them in certain areas, like, um, and then you big... take that with you for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100%. And a huge thing right now, like obviously world pandemic that we're going through with COVID, but when COVID first hit in March, like it was really difficult. I mean, I lost probably 70 members within three weeks um, to COVID. And so advocating for like proper PPE and like making sure people had masks and access to like hand soap, you know, being in Detroit, like you know, that there was nothing, there wasn't food on the shelves, there was nothing. So that definitely came home. Yeah. And that takes a toll. For sure. Okay. So then I want to talk about your relationships. So, um, you, obviously you're bringing this stuff home with you, you're building and maintaining and fostering these relationships with your clients and you're, you're carrying their needs. You're carrying their challenges. You're obviously carrying your own. And then you bring that home and that's like a lot of weight on your shoulder. So then what do you do with that? And then like, how does that impact your relationships? And obviously I know the story and like you mentioned it at the beginning in your introduction with a broken engagement, but it's not only your romantic relationships, it's your parental and your familial and your platonic relationships too, you know? So what does that look like? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I never really thought I brought work home. I thought I was always the person that could just leave it there, but I definitely bring it home. Um, it's, hard to leave you remember your your like clients or your patients or whatever you prefer to refer to them as but you remember them and you bring their stories home you know when you see people going to bed hungry and then you go home and there's massive amounts of food or there's food waste and things like that it just kind of like irks you and I feel like it was more so for my relationships um 
I start to advocate and be like this like social justice warrior at home. And I think that I take it to a degree where they're like, where is this coming from? Like, where is this animosity coming from? And I'm like, you just threw this away. Like, <laughs> do you not understand? There's people that would eat that other half of an apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and my family members are like, my loved ones are like, whoa, chill. And it's just, you know, but you see so much with what I do because it's not like traditional nursing. You're seeing the whole, these people's whole lives and you're helping them so holistically that when you go home, you can't, it's hard to just turn that off. And so in my interpersonal relationships, I think I bring a lot of that emotional baggage with me and a lot of, um, it's also hard to turn that caregiver sense off. So I'm over taking care of, I'm taking care of them now as if I'm taking care of members and I'm giving and giving and giving and giving. And then all of a sudden I'm exhausted and then I'm frustrated because I'm exhausted and haven't taken care of myself. So it's just kind of like this whole perpetual cycle. And then all of a sudden I have to like check back in and take care of myself. And it's like this whole complex. For sure. Um, what do you do for self-care? Um, I'm so much better at it now. Now, hindsight, fast forward, current moment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, lots of yoga. I've like fallen in love with the gym. You probably know me as the girl that was like, I'm not going to the gym. I'm not running. I'm still that girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to the gym. I used to hate the gym. Oh my gosh. I used to like loathe it. Like I was like, uh, same. I, yeah. Can't stand it. Don't ever. Now I love no, it. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Who are you? Who am I looking at? Who am I talking to? I don't know. Well, this summer. But um, I think I just finally hit a point this summer where it became like my coping mechanism. Like I just was like, I need like some way to release and just have some me time. So the gym is huge for me right now. Um, Writing is huge. Mm -hmm. I'm a writer. Yeah. 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 I took that from you. I remember you being see we both have like influenced each other oh there it is oh 100 percent. coffee is my one love you know coffee is my love oh gosh. Like, first words got an espresso highly recommend 10 out of 10 oh my gosh okay my work wife well now I just her boyfriend refers to me as her, her other boyfriend but um <clears throat> we're not I don't work at western anymore so she's not my work wife but like best friend you know yeah. and she has an espresso and I'm I'm like I'm staying at her place right now but literally like she loves her espresso and we like yeah. constantly use it so we feel I'm that obsessed. we we totes feel sponsor us sponsor us espresso <laughs> do you want to know who I really want to be a sponsor like want as a sponsor who um talk space headspace and better help I want all three of them as sponsors shout out I mean, I'm sure no one from any of those companies are listening to my tiny little independent podcast, but I Whoa, really tie yourself up a bit. Let's, let's really rework want, that. <laughs> let's rework that. <laughs> rewind. No one saw my hands, but I just gave him a rewind. 
Well, I love, I wish people could see our hands, honestly, sometimes actually, no, I don't because I'm always like flailing and it's, they would see me literally moving this entire time. Me too. say 100%. Um, but yeah. So anyway, I love that you, I mean, like, obviously you love coffee and that's a self-care like to just like have your morning routine coffee for me. It's like drinking coffee, reading the news, you know, checking in with friends, um, listening to other podcasts, you know, that's really like my morning routine writing journaling you know so like we've both influenced each other on like the coffee front the writing front you with the social activism and social you know like being an advocate like I feel like I didn't even really understand what that was until college and like you I remember you were like my first like black friend you know like growing up like we both come from super small rural areas and we both Mm -hmm. didn't have like diversity in our towns and you were my yeah. first like I like I don't want to say black friend but like because I like had other black friends it, but though. like you were like my first like close black friend and yeah. I just remember being so inspired by you like all yeah. the time because you were like pushing and like talking about things and sharing your experiences and I remember when both of us were on orientation together oh my gosh that yeah. first summer when we met I freaking love so you fun. um when we were orientation leaders you were always attracting the like racially marginalized groups of students and I was always attracting like those kind of like outliers like the outside yeah. like kind of like I don't want to classify them as weirdos but like the people who like were kind of like by themselves or unsure. just like unsure like that's yeah. who I gravitated towards and you were always gravitated towards or they I guess they gravitated towards yeah. us more than like we gravitated towards them but you were always like with the racial mark yeah. racially marginalized groups and I think it's yeah. because you used that activism and your experiences to tell your story at North Northern as like the token black girl, which is another thing that I wanted to get into with you today. Oh, hundred percent. The token student, black girl. Being a student leader on a college campus, you had so many experiences, and I remember talking about it on multiple occasions. Yeah. Where it was like, I love this work, but stop calling on me to do it. Hundred percent. It's exhausting. Yeah. Like I know that the work has to be done, but someone else has to step up sometimes. Mm-hmm, like exactly. I, I cannot be like your orientation staff, your RA, you're like grooming me for RD, like also worked at the Multicultural Education and Resource Center. Right. Was also the Gear Up student coordinator. At you the did same it all. Time, I literally did it all. I started Active Minds, remember? Oh right. my God, you so yeah. did. I forgot about mm-hmm. that. The mental health, ending mental health stigma. Wait, like, I should ask them to be a sponsor too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I can like literally get you contacts for them. They will. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, we'll we'll talk after. Oh my but gosh, yeah. cannot wait. So yeah, like, I, I mean- I think at one point I was probably doing like 15 different things. And I remember sitting down um, with someone, I won't, I won't out them, but sitting with, sitting down with somebody and finally talking to them and being like, you know, you really need to like train your staff because this, we've got to be better. Uh uh And they listened though. They listened. They listened though. They did. They did. But I love that. You know, I love Northern. Like, you know me, I love like I mean we both do our experiences like I loved my experience and like at OSAF and like what I took from it but 
I, but they have a lot of work to do too. They do. They do. I mean, I'm the first to admit, like I have loved all of my experiences working at Northern as a student and as a student leader working Mm -hmm. and being a student at the university of South Dakota. And then now working professionally at Western Colorado, I am the first to admit that all three of these institutions have brought me great experiences, but they have miles of growth and improvement to make when it comes to both mental health, like support and resources and like advocacy and when it comes to diversity initiatives. Absolutely. And when we, when it comes to supporting our diversity students and like students of diversity, like we have got, especially at Northern's campus, we have got to cultivate and nurture, like, and I mean, genuinely like nurture a culture that is accepting for these students that we're trying, you know, if we'll put this much money into marketing to get students there, you got to put twice as much into keeping them there. Right. 100%. But you know, that's my little soapbox there. I mean, that's what this is all about. All about. Soapbox in until we yeah. get heard. Absolutely. <laughs> no, not really. It's actually really just all about connections and just sharing stories, but, yeah. um, no, I love that you brought that up because I, I totally feel the same way. Um, yeah. Okay, so jumping back to the, like being the token black girl at Northern, yeah. I don't yeah. want to like put you on the spot or like out you in terms of like bad experiences, but it like, I, obviously that impacted your own mental health. So what did that look like at the time? Yeah, so at the time, I think I just became frustrated because you just feel used. Like you just kind of feel like, okay like at first I was like oh cool I'm getting these positions because I've earned them like you know and then all of a sudden you start seeing marketing come out and you start Mm -hmm. seeing what the flyers look like do you remember when we me you and Jared were asked to be on that like marketing campaign and we were like why are you choosing the three of us why (laughs) the three of us and then you see it that's the thing though is when they ask you you like sometimes because I had so much going on it's like I had these goggles on where I didn't see you have the blinders like the blinders yeah thank you blinders on that I didn't even know what was going on but then I see the prints of what I did and I'm like okay like if you're you're gonna do it see what you're doing if you're gonna do it pay me for it because that's (laughs) marketing like you know like don't just like you know yeah I definitely was the token black girl of NMU and they knew it. They knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There, I can think of another male individual that I think they did the same thing with. Sure. And, you know, but it's just frustrating. And luckily I did have a mentor there um, who pulled me aside one day and she was like, do you know what's happening to you? And I was like, no, what? And she was like, Rachel, wake up, wake up. Wake up, Rachel. This is Wait, uh, do you mind if I ask who that was? Yeah, Sherry Bra- or Shirley Brazo. Okay, that's who I assumed yeah. it was, but yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Do you she's still like, keep in touch with Shirley? Yeah. She's retired yeah. now. And so she, like, yeah, she is. Yeah. yeah she and is. you still keep in touch? Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love that. Her. She's I know so spicy. She's the best. I freaking love her. She's absolutely great. And she's a great resource for people that like mental health, diversity, um, she's Anishinaabe like I love her absolutely love her yeah native queer 
advocate, activist, educated, uh, you know, she's just incredible, incredible woman. Yeah. Yeah. She's absolutely great. And I love, and I'm so thankful for her. We had a great conversation together where she was like, um, you know, you need to be careful with what you do. Opportunity is always there. She said with somebody that has as many passions Exactly. And she was like, you need to be selective because if you're constantly saying yes, opportunity is an opportunity. It's just saying yes. You know, right. right. Um, so she said, be selective in what you say yes to so that you always hold, you know, that power to say yes or say no. Um, and that's what I, you know, that's kind of when I started learning that I have an issue saying no. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh. Okay, let's talk about that because both you and I have always struggled with saying no. I don't want to say that like we're people pleasers. I think we I are we are pleaser. to a, an extent, but we all we also both know our worth. And so that's why like for me, I don't identify as being a people pleaser, even though I oh, know I that I I like lean on that. Realize that it sounds bad. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't sound bad. Let me own it because I don't think I realized my full self-worth potential until this year, like till last year. Okay. Okay. I'm full blown a people pleaser and it's terrible. And I like, I've worked on it, but that is a terrible tendency that I have. And I have to work against it. It's bad. Okay. So let's talk about boundaries. Um, which (laughs) we both suck at and I obviously like, it's a struggle uh, genuinely genuinely a struggle like I'm like set a boundary and then I'm like mm-hmm. am I mean, am I mean? no yeah. you're not we're not mean at all okay so what does that look like for you when it comes to like opportunity versus like setting boundaries for yourself and your own care what does that look like you know yeah. what is like with that threshold where you reach and you're like nope and that threshold versus I'm gonna please this person and say yeah um I didn't have a threshold up and no I'm so serious I did not like like, I would go and go and go and go and go like college I literally would I can remember going and going and going and like doing homework until 4 a.m going to sleep and waking up at 6 a.m and doing that literally for weeks straight because I did not know how to say no like just didn't have the capacity um fast forward to like my job now which I had I accepted directly out of college. Um, that's when I started learning how to say no and what that mm-hmm, looks like. Mm-hmm. It's because You've I been in your role now for like- Four years. I was going to say, is it four years? Yeah. So what that looks like now is um, when I see the potential to become the token black girl again, woman, or um, I see the potential for me to be used in a situation. Now I have the power to say no. Um, or before it gets to that point, I will say, you know, that's just not, it doesn't work for my schedule, um, set that boundary. And then it does take a lot of reinforcement for myself. Personally, I just have to remind myself, be gentle with yourself, Totally. be gentle with your schedule, um, be gentle with your mindset and remember the power of no, remember the power of yes. So that's, I love that. Remember the power of no, remember the power of yes. That is beautiful. Yeah. Something that I'm working on, um, similar to the, similarly to that is, um, just really kind of knowing my own 
like boundaries and for myself, normalizing saying no, just because like, I don't need a reason. I'm someone who, and this is why I say that I'm like getting better at boundaries and I'm not quite a people pleaser because like, I know my own worth and I know my own boundaries, but I'm not great at setting them. And so something I'm really like trying to work on is normalizing for myself. You do not need a reason to say no. You can simply say no. Yeah. I literally, I, out of full transparency, um, I started therapy like last year and was, did not even, I had never contemplated that you don't have to justify saying no until probably like six, until six months ago. Same. It was literally For 20 my ther- some years. Yeah. I have always given a reason when I said no. And the therapist stopped me one day because I actually said, she'd asked me if we could reschedule an appointment I was like oh no I can't I can't reschedule to that day because I have this 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 going and she goes I'm gonna stop you right there it's just no I love it I love it and I was like what and she's like it's just no I don't need anything other than no and my therapist did the same thing to me and that is really why I'm starting to like normalize this for myself is like I don't need to say what I have going on or like make up an excuse, you know, like I, I can just simply say, sorry, can't make it. The power, the power behind that. I was like, I was so ready to say no that day. I was like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Somebody was like having a good day. No. Yes, I am. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that so much. Yeah. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. I love it. I love that. Yeah. And I have to remind myself because I'll catch myself now. Like I'll be like, no, I, no. <laughs> no, I, just, no. It's real short. My nose yes. is real short now. Now I just seem real spicy. I'm like, not spicy, just working on myself. Like, listen, we might be perceived as a bitch right now, but we just taking good damn it's care of ourselves. <laughs> this RBF self-care <laughs> oh my gosh see this is why I love hope because she balances me out so well because she is so good at saying no and she's so good at just like shutting off and like taking like not taking anything with and I'm like how you do that yeah like meanwhile she's I say like, no and then cry in my car 100 100 <laughs> she's like you know like exes she's just like done like we're blocked on everything you're out of my life like students and staff members that like do her wrong. She's like, we're done so. And I'm over here like, but I'll give you three three more chances and everything's fine. And I'm just going to bitch about you to my friends afterwards. (laughs) And I'm going to cry into a bottle of wine. (laughs) It's fine if you wronged me 18 times. What's up 19? (laughs) But I'm like really starting to learn that I can't do that. And it's like been this year of great tragedy and trauma for me that has really shown me that I can't do that because it's not well for me. And I mean, it's same I, thing with you, like both you and I had really shitty years this year. Oh, 100%. 100%. The amount of growth that has occurred in this year is just like the volume in this bus is astronomical. Like I just, like, <laughs> I can't, I can't. it's just insane. Oh my I, God, like, that I was so can't. funny. Yeah, it's just, it's it been eye-opening for sure. 
I would not wish it upon myself again, but I'm going to appreciate it for what it was. For sure. And you learn from it and you're growing from it. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's helping you to like shape who you are for the future and how you want to be in a relationship with your family who is your network of support oh that's something I want to get into you say what you're going to say to respond to that and then I want to get into network of support specifically for like black identifying people yeah very thankful for yeah very thankful for having gone through what I went through this year also um that directly leads into network of support I discovered so much support this year um, from friends, from family, with everything that went on specifically racially this year. Um, uh, well, now, and I'm going to blank on it. May 25th, George Floyd. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, from that moment, I think that's the first time, and we know that this has happened so many times before that, and so many lives have been lost before that moment. But when that happened, so many people reached out to me and just said, you okay? Like, how are you? I called and, you. Yeah, and you well, called That's like me. not me bragging. That's simply just no, saying you did. Like, and I, I was checking in on all my people too. Oh, absolutely. You absolutely did. And I remember like thinking very, like very, very specifically, I was like, how do I respond to this message right now? Because yeah. I wanted to be so honest with you. And it's sometimes it's hard for me to, like I told you, I second guess how to respond because I don't want to be offensive in my response. And I was like, don't worry about that. That's not mine to worry about. Just mm-hmm. respond. You let and us I responded carry that. And I was like, I'm pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. I am pissed off. But you know, um, this year was hard. It, to be honest, I did. I found more support from friends than I did from a lot of my family. Um, I come from a very, very conservative family. Yeah. Yeah. And I love them for being my family. Politically, we do not agree. And that is just fine with me. Um, Same here. <laughs> leave it at that. You know, it is what it is. And I'm not going to, I am not going to argue with them about it. Um, and, but thankfully my parents like reached out. They were very understanding. Um, they're very supportive of me as an individual. They're, they were very supportive of the situation. They actually like blew my mind. They had a big change of heart this year. Um, so that was a lot of growth um in support for me as an individual was seeing them actually change their mind my uh 96 year old grandfather uh was is no longer a conservative and became liberal this year snaps for grandpa <laughs> he was like hey baby how are you vote for biden right oh I was my like, gosh okay. that's so cute so we love him because he was just he was so sweet he called me every week this summer and was just like i'm so mad at the world for you um oh, and so that is the sweetest thing don't I've let ever people heard. get away with saying crazy things because if my 96 year old grandfather can say nice things so can yours um Damn right but, but Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I think the best thing that people could do is just like send a text, like call, just do something. Check in just and make it it non-performative, make it real and authentic and don't just check in post 
bad racial injustice moment that happens in the news, you know, like make it regular, you know, like I do that with you. I'm like, like Javante, my very Mm -hmm. good friend, Ty, who is like on the earlier segment of this episode. Like, I mean, like I have so many people that I'm like checking in regularly with just because I care so much about you and I want to learn from you and I want to hold you. And I want to, you know, like really just make sure that this is like not impacting you all negatively because like I see how negatively it's impacting me so of course it's impacting y'all in a much different way much bigger way much weight to carry I mean Mm -hmm. it's so much weight it weighs on you because you're like you don't want to say the wrong thing when you're at work you don't want like and people are talking about it in work settings like people are talking about it when you're at home people are talking about it in the gas mm -hmm, station mm -hmm. I can remember um when I was moving home this summer I drove over the Mackinac Bridge to the UP, I walked into a gas station and someone said, well, tell me how you feel about it. And I instantly was so offended because I knew exactly what they were, what they were getting on. Like they were basically saying like, oh, you think, tell me right now, do you think that this is offensive that like, is this being blown out of the water? Like, should he have been killed or should he have not? Like, do you agree with it? Do you not? And it's like, just check in because moments like that are so triggering. Like, mm-hmm. Well, and you know, it's traumatic. I, it's so traumatic. Like how is. do you respond to that in the moment? But then how also, do how safe? do you, how do you feel safe? How do you carry that with, like not even necessarily carry that with you, but how do you move forward from that? Yeah. And it throws you off. Like then you just get in your car by yourself and like drive and you, off. Right. And uh, you're thinking about it. You're replaying it in your head. 100%. I get it. Not to mention he was a conversation between him and a police officer. Oh God. So like way to put me on the spot, buddy. Like, yeah. like how do you want me to answer? I would have just so- walked away and been like, fuck you. Goodbye. I literally walked away. And thankfully, like the officer walked up to me. He goes, that was uncomfortable for both you and I for the pure fact of the question. He goes, I hope you have a great night, ma'am. I was like, I hope oh, you have a great really night, sweet. sir. So like, it was nice that he addressed it as the fact that it was just uncomfortable because the guy put us on the spot about yeah. something that was so polarized right now. And like, cause it is, it's a polarized subject. Like yeah. whether I, whatever side you're on, but yeah, it was just, it's, you know, it's moments like that where like, you, I think you had like, you and I had had a conversation pretty recently um, just before that had happened. And mm-hmm, it was just kind of like, mm-hmm. I reflected on even our conversation. It was just like, there are people out there that know that I'm having these moments. Yeah. Like, it's okay. Like I can get Aww. through this. People know. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just checking in. It's so important. So for essential. sure. Ugh. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit um, into something maybe less polarizing, less charged. Um, Your dad was sick for a while. Um, Obviously, that takes a big toll on your mental health. Where are things today? How are you? He seems to be doing better from what I know, but like uh, we haven't spoken explicitly about your father in quite a while either. So how, what was that journey like for you? So that was a big one, right? Um, So my dad was diagnosed with stage three stomach cancer, gastric cancer, Um, underwent a complete stomach removal. So Mm -hmm, he no longer mm -hmm. has a stomach, fun fact. Um, sorry, trigger warning for people, um, but <laughs> post, um, 
But yeah, so that was very difficult. My dad is my rock. We connect on a level where we just get each other. Ironically, kind of reminds me of, like you remind me of my dad, like the relationship. I was just going to say, I love your dad. I've only met him, I think twice, but like literally love your dad because I feel like he and I are so similar. Yeah, like your (laughs) souls remind me of each other. Like you (laughs) execute it differently, but like remind, like like it's just like a very like familiar feeling. but yeah, so that like shook me to my core. I think I really like, that was the first time I ever experienced like a deep depression. Um, shut down, didn't really talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you told me to- months later, ex- exactly. Yeah. Oh, literally shut down. Went yeah. to Milwaukee where he was. Yeah. Um, left my job, went on um, leave from my job for three weeks and didn't tell anyone anything. Went to Milwaukee and just like, completely shut down Mm -hmm. um yeah he's doing much better he's cancer free right now so thank god but the 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 trauma that came with that i'm still like working through um because you're gonna relive that with like every day you know because that so you were a caretaker you have this fear of losing someone you love I'm not gonna put all of the words in your out of like take the words out of your mouth but continue of course that like you're still reliving it absolutely um life completely stopped for me like I mean I wasn't I wasn't working clearly like I said Um, and the care that he requires now, even though he is cancer free, um, his eating habits are completely different. I'm now back like in home, like home area. So I'm helping take care of him still. Um, he's probably lost close to like 90 pounds. Um, he wasn't like overweight to begin with. So he's very like skinny. Yeah. He's very, very underweight now um so it's just a lot of again putting me back in that caregiver role and so it's maintaining the relationship of father daughter not slipping into caregiver um you know just like I get choked up sorry but no need to apologize it's just kind of let it out baby yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's just hard to see someone you love go through something so difficult and he has a hard time talking about emotions hmm. midwestern men yeah midwestern men <laughs> stoic um and i know that he struggles with where he's at right now and he struggles with the effects of like not being able to eat and when everyone's sitting down and eating dinner he kind of like he only gets to eat small portions and stuff. So there's a lot of trauma that comes with that. And especially when through a lot of that, I was planning a wedding and picturing him, you know, walking me down an aisle and things like that. And now those things are in question again. So, you know, that goes through a lot, but we're making it the best we can. And I'm thankful that he's cancer free right now. So now we're just absolutely taking it day by day and he's got like a whole list of things now that he wants to conquer that he had a whole year to plan so oh I love that what's one thing on the list well he's doing it right now he's spending the whole winter I guess I probably shouldn't out them during a world pandemic but they rented a house in Florida and they're staying in Florida for the winter 
um but it's just easier on his body in warmer weather they can't handle the sure sure um michigan winter it's too cold so oh. you know when you're as tiny as he is right now it's too, yeah it's too hard on him he doesn't want to stay in the house all day so that's one thing he's doing but yeah so he's having fun with it i'm proud of him Good. I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, is there anything that we haven't chatted about um, regarding mental health as a Black woman that you would like to share that I haven't asked or that we haven't dove into? Um, we've got a little bit of time left here, but I want to just make sure that there's nothing you want to cover. Um, I mean, I can dive into, I'll dive into it a little bit and like, oh yeah, I'll let you decide, but um part of it I guess I can go into because I've referenced it so often like the engagement um, yeah definitely that I'll dive into it a bit um I was um engaged obviously and part of that uh we were blending a family blending two families um coming from my side was a family that is predominantly white coming from mm -hmm. his side is predominantly of color. Um, the climate at that time was so tense. And the reason I really want to talk about it is just because that is so hard and so much pressure. When you are bringing together like an interracial couple, which is what we are, because I'm biracial mm -hmm. on top of being adopted. Yeah. Um, that was so much pressure and I don't think it's like talked about enough um what that does for families and like the misunderstanding and communication of culture um like people accidentally offending each other and like what music do you play do you play like all of your like hood music like you know like like just being honest like you know do you play your music that like you'd walk into a Detroit club and listen to and right. like all of Andre's family is gonna be like yep this is normal this is what we got and my family's gonna walk in and be like what are you doing like the Christian souls are like heathens what are you talking <laughs> about no here I am to worship here I am to say praise you no so you know that was so much tension and i think that a huge part of um being a black woman and a woman of color and also like having my white counterparts and being biracial that was the craziest like the craziest experience for everybody and i I guess one thing I would say is just like everybody has to have grace with each other and just through having difficult conversations and, you know, navigating polarized conversations with each other, set a tone where you're able to like ask questions and answer questions and, you know, be ready to have difficult questions if you're in a relationship with somebody that has a different culture than you. And have them as a couple first before you have them with families yeah. and make sure you have them. Um, but just to speak onto that a little bit, cause I'm sure it's like, you know, I talked about my engagement a lot. It's like little like blips, but you know, I don't know. 
Definitely. Well, thanks for sharing that. Obviously that's tough and it's really vulnerable and brave of you to open up, but, um, I don't want to like put you on the spot any further. So I don't, I don't want to like dive in, but, um, what I, obviously this is all about mental health and that has impacted your mental health. And you said, you know, the first real depression that you felt was when your father was sick. Obviously this must've been a huge second, like real depression for you. What, what were your coping mechanisms during this time? How did you come out stronger and how did you move forward from that and not just let it totally tear you down? I think the biggest thing for this year has just been like, everything happens to build you for something like else. Like just look at it as like a stepping stool. Like it's just getting you to the next level. And I just had to keep reminding myself to be gentle with myself. Like I literally had to. And it's just like, it's, it kind of looked at it as now I have a story to share with people kind of like, other women, this happens, like other, now I'm somebody that can talk to other women about engagement, about, you know, chronic illness, about I'm a resource to like other people, not just women, but to anybody, you know, um, for these things. And I never would have seen myself as somebody that was able to talk about it. You know, I didn't really talk about emotions, you know, with orientation staff, I never talked about emotions. And I genuinely Mm -hmm. think these things happen because I was someone that did not know how to talk about emotions and like still struggle with it, still struggle with opening up. And I think it all happens for a reason. And I, I, I don't have a particular answer other than like, I really think it happens to advocate. Like, that's it. I think that's perfect. Oh my gosh. I love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Is there any final thoughts that you have in regards to black mental health during black history month? Um, as this obviously, like I said, is a bonus episode, um, really kind of showcasing that like we have to continue to prioritize the mental health of marginalized groups, specifically black Americans, not even necessarily Americans, just like black people in general. Um, is there any final thoughts that you have on that? Yeah, um, continue to educate yourself, like continue to do more research, um, to read people's research, to um, continue to just, even stories you think you know, go online and like read them again. Um, You know, I don't know, I just don't know how to word it properly, but just make sure that you're investing time in black history and just make it so that it's no longer black history. It's just history. Like just bring that into unison um, and just take the time to do it. So there's so much there for, I challenge you to look up the person that invented blood transfusions and look up why he died. That's my challenge. (laughs) I love that. I'm gonna do that right after we record. Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, uh, thank you so much for sharing. Um, you know that I end all of my episodes by asking what Sisu means to you, um, in regards to your own mental health journey. And so I'm going to ask you today, as we're recording in this moment, what does Sisu mean to you in regards to your own mental health? 
survival. <laughs> it means Just survival, absolutely. Survival, straight survival. You're gonna make it. You're you're gonna do it with determination, and you're gonna survive. That's I it. love that. Oh. Well, I'm so inspired by you. I'm so proud of you. I love you immensely. Um, thank you again for sharing. Um, obviously, this podcast is all about connecting people with mental health, um, resources, support, peers, etc., and just building connections. So if someone wanted to reach out to you, where could they find you? Can, uh, do you have any projects that you're working on? Do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Now's your chance. Yeah. Um, reach out to me. You can reach out to me on like Facebook, Instagram, Rachel Klitsky. Um, but I have a couple of projects that I'm working on for Instagram. So follow me on Instagram and you will see it getting uploaded. Um, hopefully going to be working on some projects with the women's center. In cool. So that would be great. So yeah, check me out. Oh my gosh. I will absolutely, if you have any links or anything that uh, we can add in the show notes, send them to me so that way I can include them. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for being on with me again. We're going to wrap things up here, but um, yeah, I've just loved chatting with you and it was great to catch up and I miss you immensely. Miss you so much. Love you. Thank you. Okay. Bye Rachel. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to connect with me, you can email me at itsallinmyhead.show at gmail.com, add me on Instagram at itsallinmyhead.show, or connect with me on Twitter at allinmyheadshow.com.